We uh, have been, during these last three weeks uh, through our sermon series, uh, Christmas Unplugged. And so we've encouraged our church to unplug from the virtual world and plug into real life. And so uh, uh, we've had some great, great challenges. And last week, we had, during our digital detox, we encouraged our people to have a Be Present box. And it was a th- something you could decorate, and then as a family, and then you put your technology in there. You put your iPads, you put your phones in there, and then it's a set-apart time where you're going to do something fun, something face-to-face, something interactive with your family together. Then we encouraged you to post them online, and then the winner was going to get an iPad, and we've got some other gift cards and stuff like that for uh, the winners. But I just want to show you a few. Here's some of them right now. Uh, this one was pretty good. Uh, it says, you better unplug peace in the Middle East. Uh, pretty good, okay? This, uh, here's a couple more. Um, I was so encouraged to see, here's another, go to the next one. Uh, they got like a chain on it, okay? Love it. And then uh, family first, they had to use two boxes because they had so many um, screens. Uh, here's here, this one family every day posted. They had a little baby. They have a, they have a little toddler's daughter, and each day they they said our technology is going to the zoo or it's going to see the movie Toy Story. And so technology was doing something every single day, and they posted and shared about the activities they did instead of it. I was so impressed um, with our church and all of the creativity that you guys showed, and I'm just so proud of you. And so. Um, uh, we do, we will be letting you know who the winner is, and we also have, for those who participated, some gift cards to our prodigal merchandise uh, for the holidays. It's a great gift. Uh, you can buy them in the foyer. But here's a couple of gift cards to the, some of the people who participated in stuff, so come and find me later, and we will make that happen. Um, next week is Christmas Sunday here at Prodigal. It's a great Sunday to invite people. Uh, one of the, the drawbacks of being new to a church is because you like, don't know the songs, but next week you'll know all the songs, okay? It's a Christmas Sunday. Our kids are going to be up here singing, doing a couple of fun things. We've got a lot of creative elements planned. Santa will be here. Mrs. Claus, I don't know. It's going to be great. Um, and there's Krispy Kreme donuts. And then at four o'clock on Christmas Eve, we have a short Christmas Eve service here. We're going to invite you and your family as well. One of the things that we did, myself and my family, this week was uh, we drove through the Christmas lights uh, with kids and with our kids, and they just, they love doing that. We also had my son Dex's kindergarten performance. And um, because I'm the pastor of Prodigal Church and I want to show off my kids, I'm going to invite him to come up and sing. And normally it's just him singing a song, but, uh, but we're going to let him do his Christmas performance song that he did in the past. And then, oh, sis, careful, sis. And then also, this is my daughter Ivy's first time on stage. So give her a round of applause. Come here, sis. Careful. Careful. Oh, very. Oh, good. Good. Oh, yeah. Hi, sis. Okay. All right. Oh, daddy's here.
begin for goodness sake. Everybody, better, better watch out, better, better not, not cry. cry. Better not pout, I'm telling you what. Santa Claus is coming. Santa Claus is coming. Santa Claus is coming to town. Give a round of applause. Great job, Dex. He was going to react. It wasn't great, um, but uh, she was, sure was cute. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> hard to recover from that. As we are talking about this concept of the real world and the virtual world or the digital world, if you watch enough movies, you pick up on a system of truums, things that are true in every single movie. So I'm just going to read off a few of these to you guys. Um, if there's ever a movie that takes place in Paris, from every window in Paris, you can see the Eiffel Tower, right? That's not reality. Uh, number two, a man will show no pain while he's being tortured by the bad guys, but when a woman is trying to address his wound, he'll go, oh, oh, you know, right? That happens every time. Uh, number th th two, uh, they allow people to board planes as the gate is closed, okay? Uh, never happens in real life, uh, not even for true love. Uh, any person waking up from a nightmare will sit and bolt right up and they're drenched in sweat. Uh, that's a really bad nightmare. Uh, also, if it doesn't matter how heavily you are outnumbered in a, a martial arts fight, uh, your enemies will take their time one at a time and battle you one at a time rather than attacking you at the same time. Number six, uh, the mother of the house has spent four hours making this elaborate breakfast with all every kind of ingredient you'd ever want, and then the guy or the son in the story then walks out, grabs an apple, takes a bite, and says, sorry, I'm late, and just takes a bite of the apple and walks away all the time. Uh, when when the, the girl uh, and the main, she doesn't like the main protagonist, the main guy, and so he just bothers her and bothers her, and stalks her until she finally realizes that she's been in love with him the whole time. Okay, in real life, she would call the cops, okay? That doesn't happen. Uh, number eight, uh, a bunch of students in their late 20s are in high school. <laughs> always, always. Number nine, people are, are like to kiss in the rain, Okay. We're way too busy in real life. We're running for shelter. Like, we're not, gonna, we're not caught up in a moment. Also, in every, like, rom-com, um, and a guy and a girl are arguing, and, like, to kind of shut her up, he, like, kisses her, and, like, she likes it. Like, that's not real life. Like, if my wife and her are in a fight, like, and I try and kiss her, she's like, what? You read that wrong, you know? Like, you're not even listening to me. Uh, once again, showing us that movies are not real life. The gospel moves us towards real people, real life, flesh and blood. I can't tell you how many times that I've run into people over the years. I've been out of high school now for 20 years. My 20-year high school reunion was this past summer. And I run into people, and I'll just go, oh, hey, great, it's great to see you. Do you still hang out with so-and-so? And they'll go, I'm Facebook. And I'll go, oh, that's cool. What about so-and-so? Like, do you ever see them? And they're like, yeah, yeah, like on, on Instagram. And I'm like, cool, well, I'll see you online, you know, like... If we only relate to people online, are we ever really relating to people? 
uh, it is, has been and always will be about face-to-face relationships involved in the messiness of life. This is what the church is called to be. God didn't just send a book. Uh, he didn't send information about himself. He didn't send a photo about himself. He sent himself. He sent himself. God met us where we are. Look at what the, the way the Gospel of John describes the Christmas story. It says this, in the beginning was the Word. The Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. That is the Christmas story in the Gospel of John. Uh, that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Uh, it's beautiful. The word for technology in Greek is made up of two Greek words. Tekton, which means craftsman, or a carpenter, what Jesus was. And the word logos, or uh, word. The same word used here in John chapter 1. The word became flesh. Tekton, which was Jesus' occupation as a carpenter. Logos, which he was the incarnate word. Whether we know it or not, our usage of technology proclaims the lordship of Jesus. So let's use the metaphor of a screen door this, this morning. As we talk about redeeming our screens, it's good for us to have some screen doors. Screen doors uh, are I- important. They're there to keep th- certain things out, right? Especially bugs, mosquitoes, etc. And uh, we need our screen doors in technology because technology can pave a way to sin and temptation. There are all kinds of stuff online that we shouldn't see, we don't really need to see. Uh, things that are uh, definitely inappropriate, Immediately, some of you might say, well, I don't post that kind of stuff. I don't post that. But you read it, <laughs> you know. You're scrolling through your phone. You're like, oh, that's just wrong. Somebody ought to see that again, you know, just to make sure that that's what it was. And it was. Uh, for some of us, we know our temptation. We know our, de- our dark inclinations. We should guard our minds. And in speaking about sexual temptation, Proverbs 5 says this, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Solomon says that if you struggle with lust, if you struggle with infidelity, don't go down the road where the adulteress and the prostitute works. Like, don't even go down that road. Take a different road. Avoid temptation altogether. If, if you struggle with alcohol, don't go to a bar. Uh, that's, that's what Solomon's saying here. We need screen doors. And if you struggle with judgmentalism, social media can feed that. Our scrolling becomes trolling. And if you struggle with lust, social media can feed that too. We need screen doors. We need a filter. We need to guard our eyes, guard our minds. But screen doors are also used to welcome, right? Uh, We don't have them a ton out here um, in California, but in the Midwest, everybody's got a screen door. They even have screen porches. And uh, I'll never forget the screen door on the porch of my grandmother's house in Bloomington, Illinois. When it opened, no matter how hard you shut it, it, had, it was compressed, right? So it would always close the same way, and I'll never forget that sound. The showing up at my, my grandmother's house and playing on that front porch that had a screen door. Sure, screen doors are there to keep certain things out, but they're also there to let people in. And technology does that. It, it gives us this amazing gift of being able to connect with people that we've never connected with. It, be, it gives us the ability to hear stories that we would have never heard before. God uses technology. Uh, we also should use it 
for the glory of God, for, to make a difference for God's kingdom. We use technology a ton at the church, right? Just look at all these lights and things like that, but also our website and our social media, uh, those are high priorities for us, and we use them a ton. I, uh, a month and a half ago, I officiated um, a funeral service for a friend of mine from high school. And, and it's a friend that, that, that we were friends with on, on social media, but we hadn't hung out in, in years. And, um, but I don't know if you guys know this, but when, when, when I leave this stage after my sermon and the band comes up and does the last song, um, often I'll check and see where we are in the service, where the, when the, where the band is before I come back out on stage, and I'll look online. And, uh, and I'll look at our Facebook live feed, and it'll tell me um, how, who's looking and who's watching the service online. And... This one guy's name always came up, the guy I went to high school with. Always came up, always came up. And after he had passed away um, a, a little over a month ago, his mom called me and said that uh, he watched your service every single Sunday. And I said, no, I know that. And that, was always, that always made me smile. She said, did you know anything really about kind of his condition? And I said, no. And she said, he had agoraphobia, which was... Uh, a debilitating sickness that, uh, where he never left his apartment, never left his house, uh, and, and, he, and he stayed, and rarely, if ever, left his house. Anxiety would take over, um, and it felt like, you know, he was going to have an, a, like a, a panic and anxiety attack, and so he, his way of going to church was to watch online, because he couldn't go to church. Uh, Praise God that we're able to broadcast a service on YouTube and on social media for people no matter where they are, whether they just slept in or um, someone's sick, that they can still participate with the people of God. It's beautiful. The gospel moves us towards people in real life. In college, uh, I remember before class, we'd get there five, ten minutes early or whatever, and we'd all just be talking with everybody right? And then the professor would finally walk in, maybe a few minutes late. We're all hoping that they don't show up. And, and then we're all talking. And the professor just says, all right, guys, sorry, quiet down. We're, we're going to get started. If you were to walk into a college classroom today, five minutes early, you're not going to hear anybody talking, right? They've got their phones out and they're all online with themselves. Talking has been replaced with texting Actual communication with your college classmates has been replaced by entertainment. The teacher still needs to get on class and say, all right, guys, uh, we're going to get started. But it goes from silence to silence, and it goes from distraction to focus. We, we must use it for the greater engagement with our world, not the virtual world. Uh, here's a graph of some of the le leisure time that we experience as Americans on an average day. Um, Four hours and 59 minutes of average of leisure time. Uh, 17 minutes relaxing. 25 minutes playing games, computer for leisure, words with friends. I guess if it was 10 years ago, I don't know what you play now, but um, 18 minutes sports, exercise, recreation. 19 minutes reading. 41 minutes socializing, communicating. 12 minutes of other leisure activities, whatever those are. Uh, two hours and 47 minutes watching TV. This is not work day. This is just average leisure. I read a quote the other day. It'll be on the screens. One of the great uses of Twitter 
will be to prove on the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Ouch. And I read that on Twitter, okay? <laughs> so, could the computer, the television, and the iPhone be the new trinity, a new form of idolatry? Instead of putting our screens on the altar and offering them to God, we've turned our phones into an altar and we're offering all kinds of things to them. They can become gods. We talked a couple weeks ago about how our phones listen to us. Whenever we download an app or something, it says, hey, will you allow? And we're like, yeah, of course, I'll allow. They are listening <laughs> to us. Um, I remember I was, uh, I, I, I was, you know, talking about... No, Belvita crackers, I, I talk about them a lot apparently, but they're delicious. And I remember eating one and just saying Belvita, and then like, I'm scrolling through social media and I see a bunch of Belvita ads. And I'm like, Belvita's listening to me. Um, I remember reading a Dr. Seuss book with Dex, and then I check my email and I get this email. How random is that? It's creepy, yeah. It's not that we have access to information. It's that the information always has access to us. Gospel moves us to real life. One way we become like what we behold is that our digital interactions with one another, which are often brief, superficial, they become a, a pattern for our everyday relationships. So the barista at Starbucks gets a DM-like response. Short, to the point. Nothing else. When we get an email, we don't have to respond right away. We can just see it, let it sit there, respond whenever it's convenient for us. That's not the way it is in real life. If someone asks me a question, they don't want me to sit on it. They want responses. All of our personal interactions take the same shape. The way we interact online becomes the norm for how we interact offline. Facebook and Twitter communications are short, clipped, very rapid. That's not the way you have a good conversation with someone. A good conversation involves listening, timing. Pretty much that's taken away with our internet communications. Someone can send you a message, you could ignore it. But in real time, with a real voice, face-to-face, -face, it's a very different dynamic. We, don't, we shouldn't treat people the way we treat people on Twitter. I said this the first week, and I think it bears repeating. We're often multitasking. We are a distracted culture, and we are multitasking things that should be unitasked. If, if, if your time with your family, if your time with your spouse or your loved one, if that's important, it's important enough to, to be unitasked, not multitasked. It's important for you to be fully present in front of them in that moment. It means that there must be priorities that trump our notifications. How many of you guys try and use your phone to go to sleep? Like, you can't go to sleep, so you pull out your phone and start scrolling. It's okay. It's a safe place, okay? There's no guilt in this. We're all in this together. I, I'm guilty here, too. Um, when I was growing up, they always said that, oh, if you can't fall asleep, what do you do? My brother and I had bunk beds. And so I was always on bottom bunk. He was on top bunk. He's like, I can't go to sleep. I can count sheep. Okay, I heard that works count sheep. They did an actual experiment where they had a control group. They said, You're, we're going to monitor you going to sleep and just do what you normally do to go to sleep. 
And then they had the second group that was supposed to count sheep, okay, like hopping over a fence. Then the third group, they said, we want you to think about quiet waterfall or like a nice gentle stream. And they monitored it, and they, monitored and they tested uh, the difference of how fast they fell asleep, and, and the results were crazy. Sheep came in last. First, it was normal, okay? The control group fell asleep fastest. Then it was the streams, quiet waters, and then it was counting sheep. Why? The scientists said that it's not natural for us to think of a scenario like that because it's not real life. There's never a scenario where I'm like driving down the street and I see sheep hopping over a fence and I go, I should count them. And I pull over and I watch. No. Once the, the study said this, they said using TVs, tablets, this will be on the screens, smartphones, laptops, or other electronic devices before bed delays your body's internal clock, suppresses the release of sleep-inducing hormone melatonin, and makes it more difficult to fall asleep. They don't help, they hurt. I see husbands going like this to their wives right now. Um, look at this verse in Haggai, it says this. Haggai chapter 1, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Is there a more fitting verse for our culture than Haggai chapter 1, verse 5 and 6? I love the way that this verse starts out. It says, give careful thought to your ways. That's what we're trying to do during this sermon series. We're trying to give careful thought to our ways because we're just wasting time and we're wasting minutes and we're wasting moments with the people we love most because we're staring at this. Most of us don't give careful thought to our ways. We never ask, is this the best way to live? Do we do that? I was reading about a, a neuroscientist who's also a therapist. Um, and uh, he says that, that we can now prove that anything negative, fearful, hateful, attaches to the mind like Velcro. So we see that. We encounter that, it, it, it sticks to us, and we can't get it out of our minds. Uh, you can feed it for days, weeks, months. And the opposite, anything positive, happy, joyous, loving, grateful, those things, they're like Teflon. They bounce right off. Uh, if you have a great positive moment, and we're like, oh, that's amazing, like a kid opening up a Christmas present, um, you have to savor it for a minimum of 15 seconds for it to actually attach to your brain for, as a memory. You have to savor it. Think about it. It doesn't imprint immediately. But negative experiences imprint exactly, right on time. That's why we can walk through a carnival and go, oh, isn't that fun? Isn't that great? So we can scroll through this. Oh, that's great. Um, and not be changed. We can not be changed by the face in our children when they have great joy, when they're singing a song and dancing. You have to consciously, deliberately, and intentionally Sit there with it. Why do I hold on to resentment for five years, but looking at my daughter's smile, I just let it bounce right off. I don't let that, I let people who hurt me change me, but I don't let the joyous, I don't let the loving, give careful thought to your ways. I heard lots of great, amazing feedback from families regarding the digital detox of this past week in the Be Present Box.
One struck me. It was one of the best emails I got. And, um, and she wrote this, and I'm actually going to read it. It's on the screens, um, but I just thought this was such a great testimony. She said, John and Prodigal Church, I just want to take a moment to share with you how unplugging this past week positively impacted my family. First, my children's reaction to the idea of boxing up all, all our electronics shocked me. I'd expected a lot of resistance from them about it, but when they heard I'd be doing it too, they got behind the idea with enthusiasm. I'd never considered myself to be one of those parents who often pay more attention to their phones than their kids. Clearly, my children felt otherwise. It opened up a dialogue between us about it and helped me to see the rejection they felt each time my attention was on Facebook and not them. Uh, can you let me read it from, from over here? We spent Sunday afternoon decorating our boxes, discussing how we were going to use them throughout the week. We agreed on unplugging for specific times each day, as well as unplugging for all family time. I learned through this process a lot about my family, my spirituality, and myself. I came to realize that I missed out on the true beauty around me when I pick up my phone to capture a moment instead of simply savoring it. Everyone was more present throughout the week, truly listening to one another, and forged deeper connections. It, was just not the po it wasn't just the positive experiences that were enriched by unplugging, but the difficult ones too. And she tells some personal stories of some difficult things that happened. She said, without my phone being in hand, I found myself going to God in prayer instead of going to Google for guidance. Sorry for the length of this email. Just wanted to thank you all and share with you the impact of unplugging has had on my family. But I've spent too much time on my phone already in writing this, so I'm off to enjoy a Saturday at the park. I've got a date to play basketball with my kiddos, and my phone has another date in the box. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, God's concerned about this. God cares about this. Your time matters. Your moments with your family matter. Your moments with your friends matter. There's this great passage in, I think, the book of Galatians, where it speaks of Jesus showing up on the scene in, during the fullness of time. The fullness of time. And a lot of scholars have debated about it, right? It says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What does this phrase mean, fullness of time? Well, a couple of things. Uh, one, this was a time in, in world history, the first time where there was a common language throughout many, of, uh, many uh, geographical regions. Koine Greek. Greek was spoken throughout um, multiple continents, three different continents. So Jesus shows up in that time. Secondly, the, the Roman highways were constructed, and it made connecting with other people of different cultures uh, much easier. Tra traveling in the ancient world was miserable, but once the Roman highways were developed that still exists today, here's a photo of, of an ancient highway that is still around. Uh, it connected people who were very different from one another. It connected the world. So Jesus shows up at the fullest time when the common language was able to be spoken across the land and there was actually a, a, a way for us to be face-to-face -face with people. Jesus shows up in the fullness of time. Did you know that the last 25 years, a new highway has been built that have been connecting people across the world? How are we to use this new highway called the internet, called the World Wide Web? 
Because in the fullness of time, God has called us for such a time as this. And so I want to invite Noe and the band up. And we're going to close with a song and close with a time of communion. Uh, we just want to end this series with something concrete, something practical. That's communion. That's the Lord's Supper. Uh, and our digital detox for the rest of this year, for the rest of 2019, we want to encourage you. Um, use technology for, for, to bless others and to move you closer to real life. Closer to face-to-face relationships. Um, and uh, that's our challenge for you. That's our challenge for you. Uh, I want to invite Chris uh, to come up and lead us into communion. Chris has been with us for this entire semester. Um, he's a seminary student, an amazing man of God, and he's going to lead us in a time of partaking of the elements of the Lord's Supper.